0: Please, darling, do me a favor Keep our business to yourself You know I don't want you to tell nobody Don't make it to no one else Don't tell your mother Don't tell your father don't tell your sister, and don't make it to your brother, free, darling. You just keep
1: it all to yourself. Hi, dear friends. This is Alley Audio Vision, a series of talks with Alaska architect Ralph Alley. Ralph practiced architecture in Alaska in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Clark Yarrington with Residential design in Anchorage, Alaska. Here with providing guidance, atmosphere, and digital audio production. In the last episode, Ralph and three others were returning by plane from a day trip to Homer, 200 miles or so south of Anchorage. They were trying to get back to Anchorage in time for dinner with their female friends, and also trying to outrun an encroaching fog bank. When the airplane engine quit and wouldn't restart. They were just about to crash land at the same time when we ran out of time in our one-hour episode. In this episode, we'll finally find out what happened next.
0: Quiet. Pushing on the back and on my head. Around both arms. I'm bent this way. Can't move. Can't sit up. Shoes, bottoms of shoes moving at my eye on past feet and socks, my socks, over sideways, red. Hey, someone, Dan, blood around. Wing bottom, paint, come that way. Dan, you're okay, another voice. Reach the latch, need out, move it, open the door. Squish somehow, Dan says, different. He's the one by the door. Already tried. Don't budge. We're upside down, Abe fuses. Try again. God damn it, Dan. Need out. Gas fire. It can start. Explode us. To hell and gone. Voice next to my ear. What gas? Frank, you're alive. Your feet are hanging my face. Shoes for back shelf. Laces caught. Something hanging. We're alive, right? Or we hurt? Any place? Anybody? Frank? Can't tell, hanging upside down like a wretched bat. Get calm, Ralph. We'll all know about it okay. If we're okay soon as our bodies are right side up, straight. Dan, try that door again. Tapping the wall next to my knuckle. Fabric can cut away way out if we had a knife and could move. Tinging a bit desperate, Frank barks. Dan, front seat slide back onto our knees. Crushed top has got us bent forward back here. Ralph and I can't move. You have to get out first. You're by the door. Got more room? Can your legs move? Yeah, think I can reach my seat buckle. Unbuckle it then. Try turning. Lie sideways on the crushed in top. Put feet against the door. Brace your back, shoulders, whether you can against Abe. Reach through them, grab the door latch, work it, work it, work it, till it clicks, undoes, then put feet flat to the door with strength, stomp, push, stomp, push, push, push with all your might. You've got everything. Keep at it. Door'll budge. It's budget, Frank. Hey, it's opening. Scoot out quick then. You'll be sideways, Dan. Watch it. God. Bending down to lots of wet, really weird, slick at my feet. Planes up at my waist, damn bendin'. Help Abe get sideways, he's long. Damn controls guys, try and pushin' out of the way. Frank advises again, time's on your side, so take it. God, mosquitoes, bastards in clouds. Look at the size. Take it back, Ape. Hurry. However you get sideways, scoot across, slide out. Like Dan. Help him, Dan. You're the one with mobility. Making it Frank so much me up here to undo. Dan, pull up my legs, will you? Wherever you can, get a hold. Bugs are hungry. Is repellent in here someplace? Bush planes. Ape says got survival gear. I'll check it out. Look. I'm doing it. Gonna be out in a minute. Frank's still ordering. Abe went out. Reach in. Slide both front seats forward. Help free Ralph and me. We're trapped. Contorted upside down to side right on the crushed cab roof. Mutual undoings maneuvering scoots and slithers out through the one deformed door. Sticking feet down in slimy bottom footing that's underwater up to our knees. High one after another earthen grassy clumps hamper each sloshing step away from the plain. Thought a godsend found loafers, uh, but they get suctioned off my feet each step. Stop, step and retrieve each time. Abe blurts, look that hillock rises out of a scrap. Let's go there, get away in case something burns. Slow trudging high clumps through water, swatting mosquitoes. We're fresh meat. Abe scoops mud up from the bottom. Here's a surveying trick. Rub this on exposed skin. Buggers don't like it. The hillock is dry, solid. First thing happens, I'm nauseous. Then dry heaves take over and over and over. But the trenchin' leaves. I flop down on the slope. Take off my wet shoes and socks. Starting off in seven leg boots, Abe declares, looks like the plane won't explode. I'm going back and look in it. See what's in there for survival. You guys stay and relax. Stretched on the ground not far from me, Frank raises his head. Don't worry, dear. We're staying in this evening. Cancel dinner plans. Dan sits, arms folded over knees. Goes from quiet to a shout, Abe. Ah, uh, wait, uh, I'll go to help carry stuff back. Frank watching them March off in dim and wet. Think a flight plan was filed, Ralph. Better of ditto that when they're back, a family conference has to happen. Talk through rescue chances, assess what we've got for survival and for how long. Think there's a rifle in the plane. Frank fear of their findings like no food. And about Abe. Every pilot I've flown with makes sure their craft has fuel before takeoff. Something is wrong with that plane or Abe's in that pilot. It's the plane, Frank. Planes are rental. A last-minute one so we could meet Monday's offer deadline. Not his plane. Abe was in high form, remember? Kept control going down. The actual crash. Knew what to do for facing each step. Called the right shots from the get-go. If he didn't, we'd all be dead this minute. Could be. Maybe he's an experienced crasher, Frank. Once I tell you this, don't utter a word to them. I'm scared. First place I've been with no idea where I am, no the way in here or a way out of here. A direction to escape to, even know what time it is. There's a way. We'll work it out, Ralph. But listen, just past summer solstice, Sun's always in the sky someplace up north. Under this soup, a damp, dense one to boot. Available light is filtered way down to dim. Means night and day are the same down here. Diffused light leaves us without direction. No east or west. Where's north? No real growth here. One more Boy Scout hike might have taught subtleties on how. Probably a hike I missed. Finding north in a vast bog's middle where moss don't cling, where Polaris don't shine, is futile. Not from scouting, Ralph, is one rule no matter what. Stay by the plane. Burn that in your brain no matter what. Wreckage is best spotted from sky, not people. We don't need sun, a star, moss. Just that upside-down spread-eagle son of a bitchin' canvas heap out there. That's our sun star moss pointing the way out. Don't forget it. It's a fact. <sighs> Have any, any any idea where we are? Fog swamped us over Tustamina. Abe mentioned vast bogs around the lake. Remember all that, Ralph? On way to Homer? He we ain't aren't floating dead in cold water, are we, this minute? For sure we're in a hell of a bog. I'll say somewhere between the lakes west side and the inlet. Okay, but Frank, how about at Lake South Shore midpoint? Got fogged in right after we started across. Could be. I'm guessing this spot's clues are all we got. When we flew down earlier, I saw settlements along the road next to the inlet. They're likely right east or right, uh, uh, maybe west from here where we are. Think civilization is close. Our crash was even wider, higher, circling over a huge distance in fog, dropped into something looking greenish. In this dim, every direction looks alike, bog, little hillocks. Marine cover prevents consulting the cosmos, even if it is day or night. Our past experience can help us in alien territory. Frank, the question I've got after where you say we are is, how far to that road by those little downs? Which way is west? That's what's allowed by our present geography. Listen once more, Ralph. You are building hysteria and that's useless here. Our real geography, one that matters, is this spot and staying close to that wreck splayed out over that bock. Quit the hysterical snapshot. Now, this second's hysterics and situation must seed to the next second's dynamics. We've beat odds, we're alive. All we really know about this second is we'll die no matter what, someday, sometime. We can't win over that. Place faith that some dynamic in a future second, yet to happen, will be more favorable. We must count upon faith, I'll rephrase that, my faith. But you're the devil, Frank. Just in case you're not, I'll count on yours too. Dynamics yet to happen are people in Anchorage will note our absences, start corroborating with each other, speculate where we are, and figure this location out. Once the marine layer lifts, the search begins. Our job is keeping alive. Be smart how we go about it. Can hear and see him Frank coming back from the plane got to say something before they're here. Dan acts like he's blaming himself. Maybe thinks he's first in the kettle when food runs out. Careful what's said. Don't know I'm well. Carrying stuff and splashing through bog with mosquitoes crowding about Abe and Dan step from the bog upon our island. Expressing my hunger first off. Find food in the plane? Not much. Looks bad. Abe reports with dispatch. Frank acting more prosecuting attorney than survivor. Did you file a flight plan? No. I break in fearing Frank's response. Abe, anything on the plane that'll help us? There are toilet paper rolls. No rifle, knife, anything for a weapon. A full book of matches. A can of chicken soup, noodle soup in fact. First aid kit with a mirror. One down parka, couple of blankets, and a survival manual. Found the plane's operating manuals. Can help on the gas tanks and wing stuff, gauge stuff, but That's not gonna help us much now. Might give us some answers later. Mud-smeared, sun-touched, Mr. Texas Golden Boy face is stressed. If we're here long, we'll, we'll starve. We're four young guys. There's no food, water. Hell, Dan, we're surrounded by water. Something's edible, bell growing in his bog. Maybe fish. Hey, damn, I've got these in my pocket. Candy bars. Where'd those come from? Dan's white tooth smile contrasts with newly dark mudded face. Pure impulse. Some machine at Homer's terminal. Bought what I had changed for. Frank stands and looms over us for a certain some point. Let's each express thoughts on survival. We're a resource accounting now and then what's available for four guys over an unknown time length. Why go through all that Frank? Hell. We've just talked, and you decided already. Stay right here by the plane. Dan's permanent gleaming smile twists a shock. That's not active. Frank, looking down, exertion isn't any option. Without food, we'll weaken, falter, get sick. Think, guys. We've been through a horrific ordeal. We're hungry right now. There's one can of chicken soup to split four ways, and must last till. God knows when. Will we save it for God knows when, or shall we find makings for a little fire and eat now? I opt for dinner. We'll use our coats, blankets, and parka found in the plane, lay them by a fire, recuperate a little, and allow time to pass, see what happens. Standing up, Abe stretches himself taller by a head than Frank. Since I've got boots and walked about some at the plane, Near is a cut straight line trench, probably growth was cut and pitched to the side. There's dead stuff piled all along it and dry enough for cooking fireweed and then some. We can warm ourselves from this awful damp. Smoke'll aggravate Skeeters all to hell. Despite the head height war, Frank presides. Do we have a plan for now? Longleg A begins characteristic giant steps toward the balk. Hell yes! I hate chicken noodle soup and can't wait. Up to now, time is too fast or not fast enough. Deposited here, time isn't known. Random stretches keeping alive between being sliced up by this or that creep along. Measurement for anything has no value. Lying in a straight head-to-head line at the fire's downside seems Den and I are awake. Damn, hear that noise? I always hear noises. What noise you hear? Like breaking through brush. No brush out there, Ralph. What else do you think it be? Beats me on this hill, could be safe from animals. Bog seems like a moat. Hope so. No gun, nothing. Think fish leaping, feeding off mosquitoes, something like that. What predators could live in a bog? Don't say bears. Alligators? Geez, Dad, other than those, what else you got? Better give it up and sleep. Ralph, if you get all ate up, you'll be ahead of us. Us left will be resisting the inevitable. Dim, not night dark, Abe stands over me, looks down, seems preoccupied. I can't read him. Ralph, go for a walk with me and Dan, get some exercise. Frank going? Abe quick with. Nope. Luring ourselves in the bog, we scoop caking mud off faces and hands. Frank sits on elbows watching through his special all-seeing glasses. Let's follow the trench, easier than clumps, stepping as much vertical as horizontal. In defense, I can't go far in loafers. Bottom sludge pulls them off. Just managed dry shoes and feet a bit ago. Dan's quiet until... What about Frank wanting staying on the little hill by the wreck? Waiting makes sense. Go listen to his logic. We can't let waiting happen, Ralph. We'll die there. Startled, Dan. What in the hell you mean? heel? We're walking out, taking you with us. Does Frank know? Did you tell him? No. He's an idiot. He's a lawyer, not an idiot. Look, by staying, he's getting himself and us dead. Stop. Frank is a friend. No, him in college for God's sakes. I won't leave him back there. No one can die alone. You going back? Yes, no question. If I can find where going back is. Abe fumbles through a canvas coat pocket. We took some candy bars, Ralph. The book of matches. Mind if we keep the bars? I'll split the matches with you so you'll have some. Fine. Hope you two reach what you think think you're going. Sorry you're staying. Been kinda nice, Dan says, walking off. After finding the right hillock, Frank is, as I left him, leaning back on his elbows, just watching. Where's Dan and Abe? They're walking out. We're taking me along. Didn't say what they were doing until we were out a ways. Abe took a few candy bars, all the matches, he split the matches book with me. They don't buy staying next to the plane. Need taking action. Do they act like they do which way was out, Ralph? They do, I'm sure of it. Abe may know something, he's a surveyor. Knew about the trench, that long trench being seismic. They're following that out. Abe didn't say it could be trenches like that have east-west orientation. Maybe even a compass in the plane. If so, they kept it. I didn't see it. Come here and sit, Ralph. The wait before we're rescued could be long, not right away, days. Must keep our appetites down, conserve our energy. Calm our minds for the wait. Look, the marine layer has to move out before any rescue ever happens. How are you so sure? Strong notions like you buying candy bars at Homer, taking shoes off in the plane. Must keep the mind busy, think about things. Talk is key. We'll Need rest, sleep. Frank, what in the hell have we ever got to talk about for that long a wait? Okay, here's thoughts. Right off, we'll tell each other the funniest, dirtiest jokes we remember. Next, let's tell about standout memories in our lives from childhood up to now. Last, we'll tell each other what we like about each other and after what we hate. Sure you haven't crashed before, Frank? certain when you were deserting me i read the survival manual after fog moves out cap planes uh, start searching assigned quadrants one will fly over us and here looking for survivors when that happens this is what we'll do go out in the bog with a roll of toilet paper you put an index finger in each hole at the sides and let the paper unroll while i run out holding the other end laying down lines over the bog clumps. Keep doing lines until we have double L's next to each other. A rescue symbol for all is well. Do you think you can handle it? It's toilet paper, Ralph. Can't be difficult. Sure. All right then. Bring on them dirty stories.
1: listening to Alley Audio Vision. Clark Yarrington speaking to you on the devices of your choice. Dear listeners, we have been hearing in this episode about what happened after Ralph's plane carrying him and three others crash-landed near Testamena Lake on Alaska's Kenai Peninsula in late June 1963. Even as Ralph has told and retold this story over the years and written about the details of it, One can immediately discern it is still difficult for him to speak about it. There was lots of reasons to be cheerful, the pilot and three passengers having miraculously survived a crash landing with barely a scratch. However, still some lingering bad faith and unproductive personal politics at play that threatens survival. Dan and Abe strike out on their own and try to walk to a highway or nearby town feels like frank nosek was the hero here an ironic twist in the story since ralph's other friend dan and the pilot abe wanted to abandon frank after he rubbed them the wrong way in the middle segment frank gets frustrated collaborating with ralph on making a message out of toilet paper that could be read from a rescue plane and we hear about machinations of phosphorescent jesus let's get back to ralph's recounting of events Ralph, listening to all that, I guess the general impression is, what a miracle to survive something like that. So what was it like um, on the actual point of impact?
0: It was violent, and of course we landed upside down, and the landing gear sunk into those clumps, which with the inertia of the plane, the way Abe kept it, it flipped over and the whole top crushed in. Now, it was... I think what it's like is you are absolutely stunned. When I started out this segment, last segment, I said quiet and none of us said anything. You could hear nothing, no noises, anything. It was just silence.
1: So how fast do you think you were going at the, when you made uh, impact?
0: It's hard to know. I wish I knew all of those. Uh, statistics it'd
1: be at least um like something like highway speed in a car though right
0: probably he's he said he would slow us down and keep us from windmilling which I guess a plane diving like that has a tendency to start circling around and around and around, twirling.
1: You know, I've heard of crashes where something like this happens and some of the people survive and some of them don't. You know, the younger people that are in better shape might survive. And an example would be the plane crash that killed uh, Senator Ted Stevens. So he died in the crash, and a couple of other people did, but I think about half of the people that were on the plane lived through it, and you guys were all pretty young, like you were in your 20s at the at yes, the time this the happened, 20s. right? Yeah. Everybody's fairly young, 20s, maybe 30s for some of them, and in pretty good shape, and but still, though, just have no idea what that would be like. It'd be just amazing. You know, you'd think you were done for and then find out that everybody's okay and not even really any bones broken. <laughs>
0: no. And that's one of the things that I give Abe credit for is that it was his stewardship that allowed us to know what to do. He told us the position we should be in and to hold our bodies tight. Don't flop. I remember the Strong words. Don't allow your body to flop. And maybe that's what a lot of people do. You just tense your body so that your arms and legs kind of stay in a position that you can control.
1: Pretty crazy, but like it's about the most favorable result you could possibly expect in something like that. Had no en- engine power for a long time since you were higher than normal up in the air and you managed to like bring it down, set it down in about the perfect spot where it was yes. soft and it, there was a little bit of water there, but it wasn't so much that, you know, you would sink a- afterwards. So do you want to like uh, sort of pick up the story again? And so at this point, like two people are off um, trying to trying to walk out and you and Frank are um, in a sort of a holding waiting mode.
0: Yes, for Frank has decided we must amuse ourselves. So he's, it seemed to be the director for everything that's going on after the crash. <laughs> I think he had enough of pilots for one time for that period of his life uh, where we left off. Uh, we were allowing talk to meet out all of these stretches of time that are unmeasured. I can't remember, I don't think we had watches uh, with us.
1: Another lucky part about this, I suppose you could say, is that it was at this time of year, early July, and so there's a lot of daylight. It's not super cold at night, probably. That was working in your favor too, no doubt.
0: Yeah, it wasn't cold. However, it was dim, continually dim because of the dense marine layer over the top of us. Having that uh, sense of being lost Where anything that you know just can't help you and you just continue to talk and be lost and you're sometimes just to a point where sleep sweeps over and when you wake up you're even more lost. (laughs) But Frank. As soon as there's any kind of consciousness about either one of us, he starts talking again. And lawyers seem to conquer everything with talk. And you probably know yourself, Clark, that architects are in their heads. They think to play their professional deeds rather than verbalize.
1: Lawyers can just go on and on sometimes, you know, about <laughs> I, that. It's like uh, where a simple explanation would suffice and then they just go into a big, long story.
0: Yes, well, surviving being lost could take more talk than I've ever done in my life as a loner because I've spent a lifetime, of course I told you earlier I was asthmatic, but I was had a life in books, art I drew, and played the piano. And those things out there don't count. And so still in these uneven length, Frank's talking program remains in sequence and his big teen standout memory goes as follows. We were on our backs, side by side looking at gray above. Frank starts. Did you sneak listening to your bedroom's radio late at night? You too? Yep. There's that one station never found in daytime only around two in the middle of night. Broadcaster from Laredo, Texas. Hey I've listened to that. Forgot about it. Between music selections a lonesome sounding tobacco voice mail. Did mail order spots hawking worthless gadgets. I remember that's crazy stuff nobody's saying would ever want. One night, he got my attention. My desire for an item overcame good sense. It was a lifetime plastic Jesus that glows in the dark. I ordered it, couldn't wait for delivery, and prayed I'd find it before my mom did. She'd be furious over wasting money, but overly bugged. She's a devout Catholic. I went home for weeks after school, nothing. When it came, I hid the box in our basement, and when no one would miss me, I'd go down there and work. I disposed of the wrappings piece by piece, put the figure together. It was impressive, had inviting arms and halo. I threw a tarp over it after pushing it into a corner. Every day, strong lights I beamed all over its body to pump up the plastic's phosphorescence to maximize glowing. People next door were Catholics brazen with and given to ample outdoor devotional displays. Neighbors would never be able or inclined to outdo them. After everyone was asleep, I took the statue over, placed it in our neighbor's front yard. My dream was to start a late day grotto of Messabiale, where pilgrimages would assume, would ensure, and mess up their tidy, tidy yard and their lives thinking they wouldn't remove this shrine and fear their suffering eternal consequences. Some nights I'd hide across the street and watch. My mom finally guessed the correct door and forced ending neighborhood distress by my going over there and claiming Jesus as my own. What was life after you went home with Jesus? After a little penance, I threw a tarp back over the statue down in the basement. At times my dad took their party guests downstairs and lifted the tarp for them to behold. Never was the figure more glorious than in the neighbor's yard. Anyway, I got hungry and I started biting into and trying out different growth I could find. And there was a scrubby low bush leaf, not tasty, but it curbed hunger. I figured I could die from this and drinking bog water, but then not eating anything, plants, or drinking any water would probably bring the same result. I wonder about Dan and Abe out somewhere walking for so long. Just staying still without food brings on shakes, exertion. Time stays stop, and weariness obliterates thinking. Caring about myself, sleep always rescues. <sighs> Frank and I, you know, we get testy going, uh, sometimes I go around the hill just to get away. His insistence, we, Keep the talk agenda for keeping minds active, and we're up to telling what we don't like about each other. Frank left this gym for last. Smart. So much easier telling why I dislike him now. Ralph, recall when your dad hired me for chores at your house? I was outside working and you were at the piano inside. Yes, so? And the little voice of my head said, there it is, Ralph, your big embarrassment nothing frank answers spoken snippy as the bastard he is what do you mean nothing you frank brought it up just testing i know what i need to know now and what does that mean exactly i keep telling you nothing such an emotional sop in time fog thins At some hour on some day, brightness blinds eyes burn but invigorates dim and dark for so long depresses With mud smeared all over all our exposed parts, finally we can lie back and bask in sun's warmth. As fog disappears, we're back at sleep. Frank soon shakes me awake. Look straight up. I don't see anything. Way, way, way up. See a white plane doing circles? Has it two engines? Maybe. Think it's Ellen and his piper? Grab that mirror over the kit, Frank. Watch the sun and move it back and forth. That'll do flashes. Keep circling, flies cautious, stays high. Flies like Alan. Hey, it's going. Maybe flashes work. What will you say to reporters in town? What are you digging for now, Frank? What reporters? Oh, you know, fame boy architect survives crash. <sighs> Nobody cares about this miserable predicament's survival. They will. You'll relish telling about it. In college, you acted like everyone was watching you. Crap! Can't talk anymore, asshole. Wake me when this captive talk with Frank's stay by the plane nightmare is over. Nightmare is over, listen. Search planes. Hear that? The droning? Moving there to there? Way, way off. Don't talk to me. Go abuse your buddies on Lower Fourth. Civil Air Patrol selects quadrants, delegate clients to fly over each. By the sound, We've hours before getting found. Wake up, close plane. Remember your toilet paper? Remember Frank? How hard is forgetting toilet paper? Two L's like little Lulu. Easier for you, fellow. Put an index finger in a hole on each side. I'll lead the way. From nowhere, a small plane circles overhead at 40 feet. Awake, Ralphie. Toilet paper time. Fingers in holes. Now. Taking the papers in and running into the sludge, paper breaks. You're not holding the toilet paper right, Ralph. You made me tear it. Just like stick a finger in each damn hole. Let little roll, roll free. The working end is grabbed again, held free for his run. Our thin white connection tears with yelling, God damn artist. So many things people could be. I'm stuck in the Norse wilderness with an artiste. Removing my index from fingers, I close in and shove Frank hard. Shoves me back. So I hurl the paper as off the roll trails out a dramatic papered loop straight to his head. Frank catches the loopy trail and cylindrical missile, missile using both hands, keeping each above water. I lunge forward with all I've got for planning a mighty hit. He dodges landing on my knees and deep wet, while well, comes a hard slung flying roll with its horizontal streamer underlining a loud warning. Catch that, Mr. Touchy, emotional. Don't let one square get wet. Now muster personal self-control for once at your mommy taught. Help me finish here, damn it! We run, unrolling this direction, and then that, and lay two L's and emerge really wet from slop onto the hill, filled with hostility and hope. We collapse from the plane's open door. The pilot shouts, BE BACK! and flies off. The massive wilderness takes charge in silent command. If exhausted and irritated before the Civil Air Patrol, I feel dead and primed to make another one dead. Together we look over the toilet paper repetitions strewn as tracery over clumps and catenaries dipped and sopping from bog water. Two L's backward. Not bad for college grads. One with a degree using laws as a spelling director and one with architecture holding media with index fingers.
1: we recount the details of their rescue and debrief related circumstances then i discover yet another commonality i have with ralph we both enjoy driving convertible cars in alaska when ralph trades his corvair for a buick convert similar to the time he bought a home entertainment center from a friend the transaction gets a little weird on him through no fault of his own that and the wrap-up on alley Audiovision.
0: too long mounts our weight About given up, a helicopter bent like a banana, having end propellers propagating strong rippling downdrafts, hovers above our geography. That wreck splayed out over that bog. A rope ladder tossed Batman style from a wide side opening awaits our maiden climb. Frank starts into a dead run toward the challenge. I follow through the mosquito-infested wet and catch hold our swaying conveyance hanging from a loud, vibrating behemoth above. Desperation is enough chancing a weak, unsteady grasp up an unsteady climb. I'm pulled aboard. There are no windows. Lifting straight up, the copter settles back downward. Side door slides open and a ladder reeled out. Pilot in front shouts above, wind and in. Less than a half mile from where we found you guys. A dead tree was on fire. Two men waving near it. The latter guys grab a blue quilted arm and lift. A mud covered head pops above the low bulkhead. It's Dan. Civil Air Patrol advises us three that physical checkups are in order. Rod Wilson was elated that we survived and implored me to come in immediately. During the physical, Rod divulged he and his wife had purchased acreage out by kickbushes, wants me to see the land and to design a house for them.
1: How many days were you guys out there before you got rescued?
0: I don't know. I think it's probably two and a half to three.
1: Yeah, I think um, probably the reaction a lot of people would give you is, my God, why no flight plan? (laughs) (laughs) I know. was was it just because you were in such a hurry to get out of there does it take time well
0: you know uh probably because we had this window of time to go look at the land in homer
1: i remember you saying there was a lot of urging to hurry up and let's get out of here
0: yes uh we had to have an offer in by three o'clock on july 1st uh which was monday the next day and uh and one of the things that happened is a marine layer, there were warnings uh, and we wanted to get down there before that took over Homer and get back before it obliterated our way home and we didn't make it.
1: So um, Dan and Abe torched a, a tree probably in response to hearing the rescue planes as well and, and an attempt to make a signal?
0: Helicopters are pretty noisy. Yeah. And they heard it and they saw the uh, helicopter come after us. And that was one of those with two propellers on it. And it was noisy. And it also just such a breeze off of that thing. You can't believe it. It'll blow you over if you aren't careful.
1: So it strikes me, too, that uh, the two groups were separated for quite a while, and yet they were only half a mile away. Were they walking in circles or something?
0: Yes, in fact, uh, I have talked to people about that and I've read stories about this since. But one common denominator is that people have one leg shorter than the other. Now, I don't know if this is true, but there's a tendency for people to veer off one direction. And if you veer off long enough, you double back to where you came from and that sounds so incredible but i guess there are many many uh instances of this happening to people out where you don't have defined areas where you are
1: and if you're someplace unfamiliar like you don't have a sense of um, north and south and especially if uh it's not a defined daylight day like it was still um foggy for a day or two after you crashed
0: i don't know the seismic trench and i've looked at uh, air maps of it uh, but they had that to follow and i'm not sure anymore whether that was east west i suspect it is it's something they have done throughout alaska out in the boondoggles docks i guess in order to measure seismic activity there's a lot of dead stuff around it but uh, they were going to follow that and i don't know if they did uh, they may have had I've never talked to them since, especially Abe. He wasn't really in the circle of friends, but Dan and I try never to talk about it because in a way he he gave up on on me as a viable friend by leaving, I
1: think. Hmm. How, how far away from the road was the crash site
0: 15 miles
1: yeah so it would have taken a long time to uh, walk back to the road uh, even if you took a straight line there and weren't going in circles
0: well as well, it was explained a little bit that with these clumps you have to walk over those things it's tiring they're you know they're two or a couple of feet high maybe even taller and you have to kind of step over that even though you're in water and sludge so it's a, a tiring kind of a walk
1: yeah, especially if you're being swarmed by mosquitoes. I remember being <laughs> off in the in the woods um, up by Talkeetna one time where I got off track and didn't, couldn't find my way back to the road for a while. It seemed like I, I was just getting obsessed with that, you know, swatting the mosquitoes off of me and I couldn't really concentrate on anything else, including like, you know, which way I should go.
0: Well, I've got to tell you that the people who listened to episode eight where we crashed and the people who responded, it was the most instantaneous <laughs> scolding I've ever gotten. How dare you leave us here? And so, there are people out there listening to these podcasts,
1: yeah, well, it's uh you know imagine going through it for real, <laughs> not just yes. not just listening to an account of it.
0: I think that probably if your questions are answered, there may be more i people have all have asked me a lot of questions through the years about this uh, episode of my life and I've had to read accounts of it and tell accounts of it at different venues that I have attended throughout the years. But I think did, it's Did time... it get
1: publicized like Frank was saying? Were there uh, newspaper stories oh, and stuff?
0: Frank is always making up things like that. No, there's nothing like that that I can remember that uh, there may have been a blip in the paper, like three guys. <laughs> <laughs> Three guys are in a wilderness or something, but it was nothing more than that.
1: Oh, and one more thing, kind of a minor detail, but you didn't end up uh, buying the 70-acre parcel, did you? Oh,
0: no. By that time, we weren't sure if we didn't have to buy an airplane.
1: Yeah, there's that, I guess. Well, it's probably <laughs> There was probably that, insured. <laughs> yes.
0: So, there were all these or lawsuits that we may have to file. I think we just kind of canned it, that. That was the end of that episode. Of our lives.
1: So, if one were to go out to the same place uh, today, is the parts of the plane still sitting out there? You think?
0: I I've heard that it was.
1: Yeah, they don't usually go and uh, retrieve those unless they're uh, in the in the way of something.
0: Yeah. I have looked for it on Google Earth, but it's a it's a pretty big piece of real estate.
1: Yeah. Did it um, you on flying at all?
0: Well, when you live in Alaska and live the life that I had, you could not be afraid of flying. And I was right back on a plane immediately. The one th- of course, that's how people get around in Alaska.
1: Yeah, it's necessary to get a lot of places. It, there are very few roads here,
0: and even less back then. Mm-hmm. There was one time I was doing some work down on the Kenai Peninsula, and I had to go down there each week and look at a project. It was a public project, and I got on a plane to go, you know, plane to go down there for the afternoon or something. And on there was the pilot Abe. And of course those planes leave ever so often from the airport and I looked at him and I said, Abe, I'm not going to fly on the same plane as you any ever again. And I got off and took the next plane down. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it because they it seems like the combination just didn't work out well.
1: Yeah, can understand a little superstition there. Perfectly appropriate. Yes. Well, what a thing to live through, you know? Live to tell about it. Pretty amazing story.
0: Well, I, I'm glad it's behind me.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, there is a little bit of happiness in here. I I could tell you that a little bit later, I uh, was driving around Anchorage, and there's this street gamble that runs on the east edge of town, it goes north and south. And usually people go over there to go to points on east or to go south or north. I was over there for some reason. I was driving over there for a looking for a street and I passed the Buick dealership and I saw something. And the next day I went back there and passed the Buick dealership for a second look. And there's a convertible that was perched proud on that lot's Corner feature platform that looked even better than it did the day before. And it was a gorgeous royal blue Skylark, a Buick, white vinyl top, and I pushed on the gas pedal and drove as far as I could, but the car just kept goading my mind. So after work the next day, I went back and the car was still there. I was at this point helpless and so I stopped going I was weakened and asked the price the salesman knew I was hooked so he says do you want to trade in your Corvair and I said sure I'm single can't use two cars policy is uh, that our shop always has to look over every trade-in before we can take it and he says can you get along without a car for 24 hours I said sure so anyway I got a call the next day, and he says, I'm calling from the Buick garage. Uh, you didn't mention your Chevy was in a bad wreck. I bought the Corvair Lou, and I was stammering in the shock. I ordered and shipped direct from the factory to Anchorage. There hasn't been a dent or scratch near that car in the years I've owned it. We found clues prompting us to extensive uncovering. Your car has been broken in half, then welded back together. <laughs> that? cannot be
1: it starts to explain why it took so long to get it huh (laughs) yes they they were unloading it and they dropped it and broke it in
0: i think that's what happened (laughs) and they said we left the evidence open he says come over i will come by at lunch your lunch hour and take a look so anyway they did and i went over and the welds the car was totally welded in the middle and that i'm talking about transversely not longitudinally so I asked the question, can you tell if the welds would cause strumming noises like guitars when you make turns? Oh yeah! Tootleach brushes by and catches on them. Where are shows? See this? Car's clean, but extensive work must be done to put that car on our lot. We can't do much for a trade. Something, but not much. You purchase it through Alaska sales? I did. Call them about what's been discovered. We'll leave the damage open for them. They're welcome to have a look. They'll know about it just like you guys do. I'm the useful idiot paying for a car new and now paying to dispose of it. Doesn't have to be. Have them fess up. There are courts. So I told them, like you had mentioned, that after the car docked, it was, you know, weeks before I could get the car back. They never said anything to me about it. I asked them what their guess was, and you guessed it already. Said like the car was dropped from a good height, possibly a crane. So anyway, I asked him the figure between the trade-in offer and the actual trade-in value, and after work, I'll see the manager at Alaska Sales, see what they'll do. I'll bring along my college mate, a lawyer, by that time, Frank and I were back to his friends. <laughs> but anyway, that car was so gorgeous. And from there, I decided to go back and see if I could see where, we wrecked, where the plane wreck occurred. I took a trip by myself with the top down and went down to the Kenai Peninsula. And it was a thrilling, thrilling trip.
1: You know, um, I got to say, it sounds a little impractical, a convertible in Alaska, but a Corvair doesn't seem that practical either. But who am <laughs> I to say? You know, <laughs> that, That's just my general impression.
0: Well, I love that car, and I drove it and drove it and drove it. It was Just one of my favorite wonderful cars and the only place I had it was in Alaska and winter, summer, spring. It is just one of the joys I had in my life was an automobile, probably the only automobile I loved.
1: I'm not being judgmental. I own a Mazda Miata, the second owner of that, and it was sold new in uh, Fairbanks. It's also a convertible and a very yeah. small one.
0: I like. I know the car, and I and actually I like the design of it. So at least your eye was not doing you in. I think that's a very nice looking automobile.
1: It's a nice design. Yeah, it's the second generation. Um, they're in, into the uh, fourth generation of those now. Still making them. It had its thirtieth anniversary of production last year.
0: You drive it in the winter, of course.
1: No, it it just sits nope. around in the winter. It's not the primary car.
0: Well, I took trips in the winter with my converter with the top down sometimes because Anchorage warms up enough to do that. And it had one fabulous heater, and I was never cold.
1: Cool. Well, you know... um, It was cool. We've gotten to the end of uh, the um, hour-long podcast now, so it seems like a good uh, breaking point. And we're going to talk about the uh, trip that you took from Anchorage to Homer and back in the car in the next episode.
0: Oh, look forward to reliving it. I'm always surprised how far we don't get. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think it was a good move to keep this uh, open-ended and just do as many um, episodes as are needed. And, and, some yeah, sometimes planning is good, but sometimes you got to just sort of throw it out the window. Some of Ralph's design work is shown on his website, ourtechtovisions.com. My website is frame-ak.com. Ralph is working on a book about his Alaska experiences. The plane crash may not end up being the most frightening part of the book. This has been Allie Audio Vision, Episode 9, recorded July 12, 2020. Thanks for listening. Sorry, not sorry for the cliffhanger. So long, dear friends.